0: Okay, you probably worked out, we're starting a new sermon series this morning, looking uh, at the book of 1 Peter. I'm going to be preaching on this book over the next few weeks. So if you've got your Bibles, turn back to 1 Peter chapter 1. That's what we're going to be looking at this morning, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 to 9. Now, uh, as the name suggests, this book is written by the Apostle Peter. He's one of Jesus' best mates. And uh, he's writing to a number of churches that are, that are scattered throughout Asia Minor. He mentions them there in verse 1, Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia. And, and these people that, Jesus, that, that uh, Peter's writing to, they were Christians who were suffering in all sorts of trials. So it mentioned uh, in verse 6, didn't we? Now for a little while you're suffering grief in many kinds of trials. And just a few months after this letter was written, uh, a great persecution under Emperor Nero broke out. And uh, Christians' fathers would be separated from their families. There'd be economic sanctions. Uh, Christians would be tortured. They'd be killed. They were used. uh, They were set on fire and used as torches in Nero's garden parties. They were crucified upside down. Uh, Unspeakable suffering was about to start. But already they were being insulted, they were being slandered, they were being falsely accused, they faced ostracism, suspicion. And things were going to get much worse. What would you write to a congregation of Christians facing those circumstances? What would you talk about? Or suppose you were were about to talk to a friend who has undergone some kind of heartbreak. Maybe they've lost a loved one. Maybe uh, they're they're at some crisis in their life and they are suffering and in pain. Maybe uh, in their family, or at work, or in a relationship. Everything's going wrong. Your friend is a Christian. What do you say to them? How do you encourage that friend without sounding trite? Being sensitive to the difficulty that they're undergoing. What do you speak of? Well, Peter had that task. He's, he's writing to Christians who are undergoing suffering and who are about to undergo unspeakable suffering. What does he speak about? Well, he talks about God. He talks about God's mercy. He talks about the purposes of God's mercy. And he talks about the lavishness of God's mercy. And the whole tone of that that passage that we heard read just now is one of praise and rejoicing, isn't it? See, right at the point when these guys are at a time and a season in their life where maybe they're, they're questioning God, right at the point where they're maybe feeling bitter towards God, he calls on them instead to praise God, to rejoice in God and his mercy. See, for a Christian, it is always time to praise God. Christians are to be praising people despite everything. Christians are to have a joy that is independent of their circumstances. And that doesn't mean that they don't have sorrows. It doesn't mean that they don't face trials or that things are never tough. But it means that even in the midst of them, Peter expects Christians to rejoice. See, there's, there are things that are true no matter what we're going through. And those things are a cause to rejoice And Peter reminds his readers of three things that are true. And they're the things that I want to remind you of this morning. So we're going to look at three things that are true for you if you're a Christian. Firstly, God has chosen you to be part of his family. Secondly, he has secured your future. Thirdly, he is working in your life. So that's what we're going to look at this morning. We'll look briefly at those three things. Three things that are very simple simple but also very profound. And if we really grasp them, then it will help us to praise God even in the midst of tough times. So firstly, God has chosen you to be part of his family. Look uh, at verse 1. Look what Paul calls the people that he's writing to. He says that they are God's elect. That means God's chosen people. He spells it out in uh, verse 2. They are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and sprinkling by his blood. So Peter wants to remind them that God has chosen them to be part of their family. He's got a purpose and a plan for them. And if you are Christian, you are chosen by God. What's he saying here? Well, he's saying that your faith is not an accident. It's not a fluke. It's not that you just happen to be in the right place at the right time or you just happen to have Christian parents. It's not that you chose him. It's not like you thought, well, Jesus, you seem like an okay God. I'm going to choose you. I'm going to let you be my God. No, God chose you long before you chose him. He knew all about you, and he chose you. He took the initiative. It was his idea from the start. And that throws up a number of questions, doesn't it? Why on earth would he do that? What's the basis of him choosing you? it's not because of anything that you've done it's not because of how good you are but because of who he is it's not based on your performance or your goodness but it's based on his grace Brian was explaining what that word meant earlier wasn't he? It's, it's about God giving us something that we don't deserve giving us it completely free we don't deserve it, we haven't earned it but he gives us it anyway So God chose you. Did you deserve it? Not a chance. Are you good enough to be in God's family? No way. He just chose you. And that's good news. You'll never earn it. You'll never deserve it. You'll never be perfect enough. It's just God's grace. The creator of the universe says, I want you to be in my family. What an encouragement that is to people who are suffering. Just people who are struggling see these Christians that are, that are undergoing hard times that are undergoing persecution they need to be reminded more than anything else that God loves them and so Peter right at the start begins with God's unfailing eternal incomprehensible love and commitment to them as his people you are loved before the foundation of the world God shows you he is He's eternally committed himself to you in such a way that he brings all the force of his sovereign power to bear for your eternal good. No matter what's going on in your life, no matter how hard things are, if you are a Christian, then long ago God committed himself to you. He chose you to be in his family. And maybe some of you are hurting deeply. Maybe some of you are are facing a tough week but just as God chose you before you were born he brought you you here today he wanted to remind you of this that no matter what happens he chose you he's committed to you he loves you secondly God has secured your future look at what Peter says in verse 3 In his great mercy, he's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade, kept in heaven for you. So he talks about this hope that we've got. Now when we we use the word hope, usually uh, today we we talk about something that's pretty vague, it might happen, it might not happen, but we kind of, we, we hope that it will. But when the Bible talks about hope like this it's talking about something that is certain that is sure that will definitely happen it's a sure hope and because of that because we've got this certain expectation it changes our attitude in the the present because we've got this amazing inheritance to look forward to it gives us an entirely different perspective on our life and on the world now see as Christians we believe death's not the end just as Jesus was raised from the dead, we'll be raised from the dead. That we'll enjoy the new creation with God, that there'll be no more tears, no more heartbreak, no more sadness, no more pain or suffering. We'll enjoy the full consummation of God's blessings in our lives. And what Peter wants to emphasise is is the complete security of that uh, inheritance. Look how he describes it. He says it will never perish. It will never spoil. It will never fade. It is kept it's certain it's secure it's not going to be like so many pension schemes that, that promise lots but by the time you get to retirement age you find it's not really worth anything it's not like when you, you, know, you buy a new laptop and it's really exciting for the first few weeks and then after six months it's obsolete and you think it's naff what, what does this world offer that isn't temporary that doesn't fade that doesn't get corrupted or wear out But our inheritance is not like that. It's so much better than anything this world has to offer. And what's more, Peter says it's being kept safe for you. So look again at verse 4. An inheritance that can never perish full of faith. Kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. So Peter says you are shielded by God's power. How secure is that? You are being protected by the God of the universe. The phrase that's used there uh, carries the idea of being kept under guard. God is keeping you under guard. You're kept from escaping and you're kept from attack. And both of those are important. Nothing that can come against us can, uh, can jeopardise This hope, no suffering, no trial, no hardship. Also we can't escape. Nothing we can do can ever jeopardize this hope. No sin, no mistake, no bad decision. Do you realise that? It's related to that to that first point. God chose you. See if I chose God, then well maybe I made a mistake. If I chose God, well maybe in the future I might change my mind. That's what I'm like. But if God shows me, how secure am I? He doesn't make mistakes. He doesn't change his mind. He doesn't mess up. When God writes your name in the book of life, he writes it in indelible ink. Can you imagine if it wasn't? Imagine if he wrote it in pencil. Imagine if it wasn't uh, based on grace. It was based on our good works. So if we were good enough, he'd write our name in, in pencil. But then we we sin, so he he rubs it out. But then we we repent, and we turn back to him, and he writes it back in again. But then we mess up again, and he rubs it out, and we repent. and he writes it back in. He's going to need a very big pencil. In fact, the page would be be worn through. But it doesn't work like that. He writes your name in, in indelible ink. It's written and it stays no matter what you do. Because your salvation isn't based on what you do. If I was saved on the basis of what I did, then obviously if I, if I stopped doing it, then I could lose my salvation. But you're saved on the basis of what Jesus did. He's done it all. And on the cross he said, it is finished. It's done and it can't be undone. Do you think that you can lose something that God has chosen to give you then you don't understand grace. It can't be taken from you. Jesus himself says about his people, no one can snatch them from my hand. No matter what we're going through, he will not let us go. Those of you uh, who were here last week will have heard Karen uh, Abenet tell some of her story. And it, it it was clear that she knows the truth of this despite all the the suffering and the hardship that she went through, she was able to testify that God did not let her go. Even when she felt she couldn't hold on, well, it wasn't down to her to do the holding. And no matter what you go through, no matter uh, how you feel, no matter how weak your faith is, no matter how big your doubts are, if you're a Christian, God will not let you go. God has secured your future. And thirdly, God is working in your life. Look at verse 6. Peter says, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine, And may result in praise, glory, and honor when Christ when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy, for you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So Peter tells them no matter what they're going through, no matter what things are happening to them, or what hardships they're facing they can be reassured that God is working in their lives. And if you're a Christian, that's true of you. God is at work in your life, even when you go through tough times, even when it doesn't feel like God's there at all. Once you're in in his family, he never stops working in your life. He's doing it right now. Even in hard times, that's not a sign that God is not working or that he's forgotten about you on the contrary Peter says they have come so that your faith may be proved genuine and the image he uses is, is the image of refining gold so if we if we want to pur- purify gold we heat it up we put it in a furnace and we put it under incredible heat and as the gold gets hotter the impurities rise to the surface and we can we deal with them we can remove them and we're willing to do that because the gold is so precious. We want it to be as pure as possible. And Peter says that your faith is far more, far more valuable than gold. And as we go through tough times, when the heat has turned up on our Christian lives, God is using it to purify us. God is using it to refine us. To, to prove the genuineness of our faith. So are you feeling the heat? Are you feeling the, the pressure of trials? Well, in the midst of all of that, God is at work. He's testing your faith. He's strengthening it. He is making something beautiful. Now, That doesn't mean that it, it doesn't hurt. It doesn't mean that everything's easy for a Christian. It doesn't mean that, uh, yeah, that we don't suffer. We still suffer trials. We still experience suffering as suffering. It still hurts. That even in the midst of it, we can have a sense of joy. Joy because, because we know that even in all that, God is working in our lives, bringing about our good. He, see, he doesn't waste any of our suffering. He uses it to strengthen our faith, to make us perfect, to make us complete. It's, he's refining us so that we become the people he wants us to be. I I don't know what's going on in your life but, but God does and he cares and he's working even in the midst of it. You might think that your situation is hopeless but if you're a Christian it is not. The same God that chose you from the foundation of the world the same God who has secured your future is at work in your life now purifying you, refining you, making you the person he wants you to be. See, so the amazing thing uh, about the Christian life is not that we're immune to suffering, but that God takes that suffering, He takes that very bad thing, and he uses it for a very good end. He uses our suffering to refine us, to fit us for heaven. Earlier on we uh, mentioned Bethan's godfather, Bruce. Uh, He's a good friend of mine from university and he he couldn't be here uh, today because he uh, lives in Zimbabwe. He's a white farmer out there and it's not a good time to leave Zimbabwe at the moment. You don't know if there'll be anything left when you go back. One of the reasons I wanted Bruce to be Bethan's godfather is because he's a guy who can teach her the truth of this, I can't begin to tell you uh, about all the stuff that he has to go through on a daily basis out there, trying to run a business in you know, in hyperinflation, constant threats to his family, to his farm, responsibility for hundreds of workers in a time of famine, and uh, just persecution and traction that he. He uh, he gets for being part of a black farm church. People all around him getting beaten and killed every day. And yet he's able to face these trials with with the attitude that Peter talks about here. I remember talking to him a little while back and he, he said to me, Trenchard, it's desperate. I, I I need all the prayer that you can manage. But then then his tone changed and he was really excited and said, "But if I get through this, imagine how strong my faith will be then. That's what Peter's talking about. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, will be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory and honour when Christ Jesus is revealed. So, so to these Christians that are, that are undergoing hardship and trials, Peter wants to remind them of some basic truths about, about who they are and about what they've got. They're, they're chosen by God. Their future is secured by God. And God is at work in their lives bringing about their good. And these things are true no matter what they're going through, no matter what's happening, no matter how we feel. And because of that, they've got cause to rejoice. They have a joy that is independent of their circumstances. They can praise God regardless of their situation. And Peter wants us to have that same perspective. If you're a Christian, then these things are true of you. None of them can be taken away from you no matter what happens in your life. And it's by grasping these things that, that verse 8 can be a reality in our lives. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy for you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Let's pray together.